troubles away. Okay, so who wants to do the introduction? That's perfect. That's what you should use for the introduction. <laughs> yeah, no. I think we should lead with the fact that we're avoiding introducing today's topic, which is... Control! Any avoidance. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's been some dispute here at Naughty by Nurture headquarters. Division. Internal division. Strife. No. Conflict. This episode is about avoidance. Control. Yeah. <laughs> and avoidance and control sometimes are intertwined as concepts. At least some of us believe that. And we'll insist it repeatedly in Google Docs, <laughs> organizing notes for the show. We'll leave it up to you to guess which one of us that is. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> well, now you've spoiled the surprise. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but yes, we're going to talk about experiential avoidance i guess instead of control first which is fine because you know what i don't need to be in control of everything i don't need to control every decision it's fine yeah, the fact that she does is a complete coincidence <laughs> but no i think i think that these topics are very closely intertwined because <laughs> avoidance is a control strategy right mhm and yeah. it's also important i think the most important thing to recognize about avoidance is that it's great and it always works. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else is an avoidance strategy? Is dripping irony. Who are you referring to, Megan? <laughs> ah, just about every person on the internet, I guess. Uh, well, thank God every we're not on the internet. <laughs> and have never used the internet and I don't even know what the internet is. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'm calling into this from a payphone right now. I don't yeah, know. that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm constructing my voice via telegraph beeps. <laughs> that's why I sound like this. I'm sorry, everyone. This is the best I could do with 19th century technology. It's pretty impressive. I'm impressed. You're very oh, easily impressed. So, so who wants to explain what experiential avoidance is? That sounds like a job for a psychologist. Well, I mean, <laughs> tell me this. Tell me this. How not self-explanatory is it? Like, if you see the phrase experiential avoidance and you think, oh, it must be about avoiding experiences, how far off are you from the truth? <laughs> uh, can you rephrase the question? I find it very confusing. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so you're, you're asking... Is it more complicated than the name implies? Yes. N no. Great. See you guys next week. <laughs> but but to get... <laughs> Hooray. Um, okay, so I'll do it, I guess. It's fine. So experiential avoidance is the... Uh, I guess I can't use the word in the definition, right? Like this, that's... You see, you see the problem I was having. <laughs> Why not? The the definition is just the name. <laughs> okay, so let's talk. Let's define experience and what that means. So that could be any <laughs> In internal, <this> <laughs> yes, any internal experience. So, uh, thoughts, feelings, memories, sensations, 
So our, yeah, anything that's happening inside the body really is, we don't have a whole lot of control over it. Like we have, we have some degree of influence, but um, the thoughts that pop into our heads and uh, how we direct our attention, et cetera, et cetera. These are things that are pretty largely automatic, I would say. Like they they just kind of flow, but we like to think we have control over them. But it's right. a lie. Humans are feeling creatures. We're feeling feelings all the time, and we can't stop from feeling the feelings. Yep. We can try like hell, though. <laughs> yep. Right. And that's experiential right. avoidance. Right. right. We can prevent them from rising to the surface or or truly being felt, but yeah, yeah, we can, yeah, to some degree, we have we have some influence over that. But it, it turns out uh, a lot of those control strategies, those ways to avoid feeling the things that we don't want to feel, have their limits. <laughs> turns out they right, they're they, like they're just like too healthy, right? It's like too smart to do that. Um, yes, yeah, and that typically, if you still feel something that you've been trying your entire lifetime to not feel, that just means you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was, that was irony, you guys. That's not true. No. Yeah. Oh. See, I again, I can't recognize that due to my aforementioned lack of exposure to the internet. <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> I just think it's important to be explicit about some things, you know? I don't want any ambiguity here. It does not actually work as a long-term strategy. Avoidance is not a good long-term strategy. It can be a useful short-term strategy, which can which can kind of uh, feed into our belief system that if we just avoid harder, then everything will be great. And also, while it's not a viable or sustainable long-term strategy, that doesn't stop us from trying. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, and as a counterpoint. I would say, what if you avoid it until you die? Right? <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's can not you give like an you example? have to avoid it forever. Give me an example. Yeah. An example of avoiding something until you die? Uh, um, I don't know. Not not addressing an emotional gulf with a family member. <laughs> Uh, never <laughs> confronting your own trauma. Okay, so what what is the what are the experiences that are being avoided there? Uh, well, in the case of trauma, I suppose it would be reliving that experience. Okay, all right. And so, why would you not want to relive those experiences? Because it's hard. <laughs> they sucked ass. Yeah. No, yeah. because it's painful. It's very painful to relive right. a, a traumatic experience. Yes. And so ultimately there's some there's pain, there's there's discomfort there and I mean very legitimate, like it's very justified to want to avoid a lot of those things. Um Oh yeah. But are you not feeling those things? Like are you really not feeling them? <laughs> No, of course you are. Of course you are. And well, I think... You could feel them as a generalized, non-specific fear. Yes. As right. opposed to right. concretely perceiving them for what they are and tying them back to specific, you know, sense experiences. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And so if you manifest itself other ways, yeah, Mm -hmm. if you just live your entire life in fear, that's a completely different experience. (laughs) Uh huh. Yeah. Exactly. So I guess you're right, Andrew. You you could just (laughs) go your entire life and not confront it. It's fine. But that might not be the most pleasant way to go through your whole life. Yeah. You're not going to get away from having unpleasantness in your life. That's just a lie. The secret. Pleasant world. The secret is not good. I'm going to go ahead on the record. I know that this is a controversial point here, but the secret is a lie. What are you talking about? Then why isn't it called the lie? Uh, good question. Is is the fact that the secret is a lie itself a secret? Is that the secret? Oh shit, that's a great yeah. Um, so for for people listening who might not know what the secret is, it's a book that was popular like what a decade ago. It's still around. It's influential. It was like a a timely timely references. (laughs) Naughty by nurture. I mean, this shit's, I mean, it's just, it's an ex- a manifestation of the shit that's been out there forever. No, of course, of and course. The still secret is kind of the Ur self-help book. Yes. Yeah. It's, yes. yeah. <laughs> so, and the, the, the thesis of it is that if you think positive thoughts, positive things will happen. So if bad things happen in your life, that's essentially because you've been thinking negative thoughts. And I mean, is that really so different than psychology? Really? <laughs> oh, man. He's right, though. <laughs> and you can read more about that in my favorite book, Dianetics. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I was not prepared for this. Yes, you were. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, no, Andrew. It's not all that different. Wait, yes. Yes, Andrew. (laughs) Yes, it's the same? It's fundamentally different. (laughs) Fuck. All right. Where was I before I was so devastatingly trolled? Um, I think you were talking about the secret for some reason. Oh. You were saying the secret is not real. Right. And that kind of brings me to one of the important points about experiential avoidance is that we are so reliant on it because it's it's a strategy that we have heard about and learned about for our entire lives. We're bombarded with messages that we should not feel unpleasant things, that we should we should avoid feeling things that are distressing, oftentimes that are inconvenient for other people to have to feel and deal with. Uh, we're we're taught that our negative emotions are a burden. And, and one of the, one of the more sort of insidious ones is that it's kind of like a strategic misapplication. Uh, and because you know, because the basic idea behind avoidance is that you know, like like you said, where we're getting at with your analogy to the secret is that you know we could control our internal states by will alone, right? Mm-hmm. This is the idea of self control. And, you know, it's really tempting to buy into that because we see controlling things or trying to assert control be effective or seemingly effective in the outside world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. and so just trying to grab onto that sense of 
mastery that comes from being able to change things like out in the world and trying to push it back inward using the same strategies you know it seems like it should work and but megan is insisting that it doesn't <laughs> for some reason for the, for the most part for in the long term yeah i mean there are things that we can do to like sort of temporarily change our internal states like we could go to the movies when we're feeling blue and watch adam sandler be a clown and haha that's funny and it distracts you from whatever it is you're trying to avoid feeling right because well you mentioned (laughs) nobody's gonna give me shit about adam sandler right now that's all right whatever (laughs) well i mean you know you went through the secret so adam sandler is only a slightly more dated reference (laughs) (laughs) it's been what a solid 20 years since someone actually thought adam sandler was funny Uh, <laughs> anyway, go on. <laughs> but no, like that actually brings me to my point, which is you were talking about uh, how we're inundated from these messages, you know, in like every corner of our lives that, you know, we need to not express or even expose ourselves to our own feelings because it's disruptive to whatever is expected of us. And we're, you know, we're exposed to these sort of messages from birth. You know, it's it's part of how we're socialized. And so I wondered if maybe you guys could think of specific examples from your own lives where you were being taught that avoidance was a necessary strategy. Oh, I've got or some thoughts. Where you, where you were being trained to think that avoidance works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've got some thoughts. I've got some examples. Mm. Okay, Andrew, why don't we start <laughs> with you? <laughs> Go ahead, Andrew. Oh, goodness. I mean, any sort of interaction that's at all colored with masculinity, certainly. (laughs) Right? I mean... Well, boys don't cry. No, boys don't cry. Um, I mean, yeah, masculinity is really built on the very measured measured expression of emotion, Mm -hmm. I think, in, in a lot of ways. I mean, social... Social pressure, any movie, TV show, I don't know, take your pick. Um, yes. It's very pervasive. It's hard to think of a specific example off the top of my head, but... Yeah. I remember when I was four years old and started playing soccer, and I remember skinning my leg pretty badly, and my mom picked me up and said... A real athlete would play through this. They wouldn't cry. They'd play through this. And I, like I, I, I. And you were four. <sighs> yeah, yeah. It was it was dope. I mean, Ooh. I ended up playing through a lot of injuries I really shouldn't have. So <laughs> it worked pretty well, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And it yeah, turns yeah. out I ended up being an extremely masochistic person in my life in general so oh weird that's yeah. a funny coincidence yeah yeah how did that happen <laughs> i don't know <laughs> anyway probably best to avoid thinking about it yeah, definitely <laughs> um but another one my mom would she was really into the whole i'll give you something to cry about that was oh boy yeah or oh or, that takes me back oh it's a fun one <laughs> 
It's a fun yeah. one to reflect on. And and the whole uh another one she would use is she would talk about how they're starving children in, in India. And so you know, you have it pretty good. So shut up. Oh my. Yeah. That was good. It was good that didn't give you like a lifelong guilt complex or something. <laughs> yeah i agree i agree it's good that that didn't happen because i bet that would be pretty damn inconvenient (laughs) anyway so so those are some of mine how about how about you george um well to piggyback off what andrew said i found that a lot of you know sort of masculine socialization particularly when it came to like you know, I was not an extremely, like, manliness does not come naturally to me, How <laughs> is how I'll put that. And that was a source of constant uh, stress for both of my parents, but uh, surprisingly, particularly my mother, who was very distressed uh, when I would cry or otherwise sort of not be a real man. You know, and this is, you know, talking to me as a five or a six year old when, you know, if a five or a six year old is a real man, there's something very bizarre going on. Yeah. And, you know, it just sort of, I guess it had sort of the opposite reaction to me in that it sort of, like, I have a really intense aversion to traditionally masculine things, you know, which is sort of instilled in me by association with the resentment of, like, feeling pressured, mm-hmm. you know, from a very young age. And, you know, it's made it very difficult for me, for instance, to, like, respect or connect with men in social hmm. situations or trust them at all, ever. Hmm. So it sounds like your sort of control strategies is, like, the avoidance kind of went the other way. You didn't buy into that and instead sort of viscerally rejected it in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I just avoided the entire thing instead of avoiding my reaction to it. I, I went all in on my reaction to it and avoided the thing. That makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, that one definitely works long term. <laughs> Just a tip from me to you guys <laughs> out there in Radio it's Land. Is to never connect with men. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you or get that advice on Twitter really 15, 20 times a day. <laughs> Not that I know what Twitter is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I guess that, so we get these messages as children from our parents, from our peers in school, our teachers, etc. And there's giant industries based on avoidance, right? Like, we've got the secret, that's one, right? But, oh God, what? I'm trying to think of, like, what examples... Like the happiness industry, like the uh, life is good, those t-shirts and shit. Like, there's like, what? <laughs> Do you like? Are you gonna uh, help me out here? I know that you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, I mean, I, if we can slip into a political example, uh, something like America is already great. <laughs> yes, that's a is that great... not buying into a, or trying to depict a? particular uh you know everything's fine stop worrying yep yeah like the validation industry Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. and you know you see that manifest in a lot of different ways you know the first one that i thought of when andrew mentioned politics 
was like the way late night talk shows now are exist seemingly entirely to congratulate people for not liking Donald Trump. <laughs> it's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. Not like him. I mean, he's just so charming. He is. And, and charismatic. He's a winner. Oh my goodness. So anyway, yes, I agree with all these things <laughs> said. Um, But so there's this like all these things that are trying to tell us that you don't have to feel these things like it's 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 best not to but i think that over time most of us at least sometimes start to kind of see through that to some degree or well i think anybody listening to this podcast yeah um, you're all extremely smart oh yeah (laughs) right guaranteed you're smart uh you're insightful and what's more is you're not susceptible to flattery (laughs) (laughs) well i think where i was going with that is more along the lines of probably less willing to deny our negative feelings and maybe sometimes we uh overindulge those but that's a different thing um i don't know where i'm going with this george i want you to cut this part Okay, yeah, I'm, def- I'm definitely not going to highlight this part. <laughs> cool. But yeah, no, you're, you're, talk- you're, you're saying that, you know, you're imagining anyone listening to this is more likely to be, you know, like a misery addict than someone yes. who's <laughs> desperate to be content at all times. Uh, right, right. Which, funnily enough, rumination can be a form of experiential avoidance just of other shit. Uh, yeah, like cool. if you wallow in something, then you're not experiencing anything else. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. It's it it really manifests in a lot of glorious ways. Yeah, um, like you know, a really a really simple example that I'm sure everyone can relate to is turning up music really loud so you can't hear your parents yelling at you through the bedroom door. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Classic. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> this is um, the same as that. Exactly, but. A, a big part, I think, of what tends to reinforce this idea is that we can often look at other people and kind of believe that that they can control their internal experiences better than us, that they have their shit together more than we do. We have this bias, right, that we're aware of what our internal experiences are. We don't know what other people's are, but they have they have their faces on, right? And so it kind of looks like they... Other people are calmer than we are. Yeah, and that's that's just that's the root of anxiety, right? Is assuming that other people are as observant of your inner struggles as you are, which is both impossible and nonsense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of it, like when we're developing these belief systems as children, like we're we're looking up at adults and adults. Those those guys are magical, right? Like those guys. They know what's up. Speaking well. as an adult, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> well, so, you know, some of us have a little bit more insight into this when we're children. But, like, for example, I didn't really figure out that my parents were infallible until... Or were not infallible. Woo! <laughs> uh, <laughs> until, like, that started cracking a little bit in high school or college. Wait. It was pretty late in life. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's it. Yeah. I know. Dang. 
Yep. You must have been the most miserable teenager alive. <laughs> to think, I was not, pretty To have parents miserable. as giant wow. assholes as yours and to think that they were infallible. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's like believing in God and also God hates you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um But yeah, so I, I really I really thought they were they had their shit together and I mean how do you feel now? Uh, they don't. <laughs> I feel that they don't have their shit together, and Such in fact, an ungrateful. Daughter. In fact, oh they shunt gosh. off their trauma onto <laughs> the people that they love. It's awesome. Um, so, what would you say the inflection point was? Where did you start to realize that maybe they weren't perfect? Um, in college, when I was literally brainwashed, according to you, the. <laughs> what? They think that that's when the that's when they identify I was that they I lost see, me. I, I was brainwashed in college. Yeah. Yeah. Liberal intelligentsia. Yes. Yeah. Um so I started to like question the worldview that I had absorbed, I suppose. And so that and a lot of that so that was more like general the rest of the world is not actually how they describe it. Um like breaking out of their worldview gave you the perspective to realize what wrecks they are. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, and that their their sort of emotional coping strategies were trash. Yeah, that's <laughs> more or less. That's when that started, and then it's kind of been uh, from there an ongoing project. I mean, that's why there's a reason that I decided to become a clinical psychologist. And that's mostly to undo all of the damage. <laughs> Did it work? It's, you know, yeah, it's, it's going okay. It's going better than if I hadn't. Um, I mean, I've got a, a stupid podcast where I talk about it, so you tell me. <laughs> oh, man, I want to be on the stupid podcast. That seems way yeah. more fun. I agree. And this podcast was certified geniuses like you guys. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Andrew? You know, what's what's your relationship with the idea of adult infallibility and when you shook free of that? I think that I just grew up with a feeling or or that it was sort of ever ever present. I don't know. I I feel like I didn't have a lot of boundaries or Maybe boundaries isn't the right word, but I felt very unmoored and unsupported growing up, yeah. emotionally at least, and left me feeling, I don't, know, I don't know, from a very, very young age that you're sort of all alone out there. Like there's no, there is no emotional support that you can depend on. It's just mm-hmm. not, it's, you're just, you're just alone. You're just alone. And so, you know, fallibility, I guess, wasn't even, like I, I didn't really even get that far. Like Yeah, no, I know exactly what you no, mean. No one can be depended on. Yeah. Like, I also am an atheist with regards to grown-ups. I don't actually believe right. they exist. <laughs> right, I guess that's it. Like, there, like to, to me, even as a young person, there didn't seem to be a difference. Mm-mm. Right? Like, my, you know, my, my decision-making carried as much weight as the adults around wow. me. Right? Like, uh, which is liberating in a certain sense, but, you know when you're young and you need those sorts of boundaries to teach you that you have support and that you are genuinely cared for, you know, the lack of it 
leaves you feeling like, oh, no, nobody's in charge, actually. Mm. You know, which might be true in a literal sense about the world or society, but in an emotional sense, it, you know, hopefully shouldn't be. Like, yeah, or, or yeah. Not, not, the... not necessarily like nobody's in charge, but that, you know, oh, you can't nobody count on has anybody. my interests. Right. Nobody has my interests or my care mm. In, mm. in their mind. Just me. Yeah. Like, I think that that. That is sort of the watershed moment, like across the board. It's the moment yeah. when you realize that you can't count on them, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's and whether necessarily yeah. when you see their limits, right? And and whether that's whether that's related to your material conditions or abuse or emotional neglect, whatever it is, all of the above. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But <laughs> I think match, you know, dealer's choice. What's what's interesting to me in that statement is that in order to realize that, you would have to be able to like really feel the pain of that. Yeah. Well, but that's I mean, for me at least, that was sort of how avoidance really manifested it's you know, not not confronting feelings, not, you know, I mean I feel like my experience with avoidance and and the experience of feeling was one that I, I don't know if we can say a little bit into a slightly different direction. I feel like that was one of the things that's been very important for me in therapy is cutting myself some slack, I guess, mm-hmm. like like recognizing that as a child, that avoidance, that habit that I built up was important. Like it was doing something mm-hmm. important for me when I was young because to confront it would have been to, to really confront that lack of support and that lack of sort of a net at a really young age I would have been dangerous emotionally. Yes. And so just sort of, you know, it's a coping strategy, right? Mm-hmm. And getting through it in a certain sense was empirically more important than confronting it as a child. Right, right. Which is a really, I think, highlights a, a really interesting interaction between like these avoidance and coping strategies and access to power. Yeah. Like as a child, you don't have that much power to change shit. And so like that, that is the adaptive strategy in that context. And that fucking sucks. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so, and I think you also highlight a really important part. Uh, point two which is like recognizing that these strategies come from a place of like they made sense they were developed right. in a context where that yeah right. that helped you survive i mean in, in a in a twisted sense it is a form of self-care mm-hmm. yeah but at a certain point and when the context changes right maybe not so helpful forever right. Right, like you know, I develop I develop a strategy or not a strategy, but a a situation wherein I avoid feeling because to f- to feel my full range of feelings in the situation I was in as a child would not have served me. But then, because that's my strategy for all of my childhood and adolescence, I bring it with me into adulthood, and it no longer is serving me in adulthood. Yeah. Right. It's it's hindering me a lot in adulthood, mm-hmm. you know, and then rather than having an intuitive sense of how to be and how to feel, you know, I have to spend time and work and energy, emotional energy. And ah. it's pretty exhausting. Right. Unpacking that on un- sort of, I don't know, unlearning. 
unlearning right exactly and and it's tough to unlearn because it was built by me for a very good mm-hmm. reason mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh it takes me back yeah. <laughs> well so um i think that was the natural uh progression into thinking about like what is it that we have struggled to experience that we have tried to push away and to avoid i've spent a lot of time thinking about this (laughs) and i know that that you two have too and and so what about you george what are the things that have been (laughs) 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 well so I spent most of my 20s avoiding everything. Like, mm-hmm. I literally, I didn't leave my room for mm-hmm. close to seven years, you know, unless I physically had to. And, you know, this was uh, an outgrowth of, you know, a nervous breakdown in a bout with a severe mental illness that I had in college that led me to leave college. It was uh, wrapped up in a suicide attempt that I had a few years later. It was wrapped up in trauma that I had going back years and years before that. But, you know, sort of, it reached a point where I just, I couldn't process anything. So I didn't, I just cut all of it out of my life entirely. And I enforced distance. You know, that was how I thought of it. That was the story I told to myself about what I was doing. I was enforcing distance between me and the things I couldn't handle, which was everything. Hmm. And it probably kept me alive. Uh, through some very difficult years psychologically. And then there was a point where I realized uh, through, you know, several instances of failed therapy and, you know, failed courses of medication and, you know, a suicide attempt and hospitalization that I I had reached a point in sort of my development where it was ne- where the thing that had kept me alive was now the single largest obstacle to me getting any better. And so I had to undertake a process that took years and years of like gradual acclimation and reconnecting with people in various ways of sort of enforcing closeness of unpicking of unlearning all of the different techniques that I developed to isolate myself from people, to push people away, to render people sort of distant and small and manageable as an experience. And I had to undo all of that. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, it was with the help of friends like, you know, Andrew and Megan that I was able to, uh, you know, not these guys specifically, obviously, these guys are completely <laughs> useless to me. But, you know, people like, if you could envision alternate versions of them that are cool, <laughs> like that that's the kind of person that I was counting on. And that was, a, that was there for me when I needed them. It's important to never express emotions sincerely and and directly and plainly because you don't want to you don't want to look like a dork well i mean i look like a dork anyway but i need to have precise control over what kind of dork i look like at all times to everyone (laughs) delightful good old measured emotional (laughs) oh dear oh but i under i mean i understand that i really speaks to me my my experience also just that having to undertake it is such a such a meaningful project and it's difficult 
It's very difficult. Undertaking the process of unlearning the very strategies that kind of originally helped you survive. Yeah, there's actually, there was a phrase that I heard once that is really corny, but that it's just sort of a rule that I keep coming back to when I think about things like this, which is that uh, a person's greatest weakness is their greatest strength taken too far. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's so it's so difficult to... I mean, you have to... There's a, there's a way in which emotionally you have to stop trusting yourself, right? Because you've built up this instinct of pushing away, mm-hmm. of of not showing not sharing right and what's worse you don't just have to stop trusting yourself right you also and this you have to additionally trust other people right because you could just you could just live in you know an emotional void where you don't trust yourself or anyone else and you're just sort of you know you're a fucking buoy out on a storm-tossed ocean (laughs) of feelings you can't comprehend because you refuse to try Mm. yeah vulnerability is like well it makes it so difficult it makes it impossible at the start because right first you have to first you have to not trust the impulse that says you're worthless right Mm -hmm. so once you get over that then you encounter someone else who says hey you're not worthless so there's like another layer of that I mean why would I believe that person that's crazy they don't know me (laughs) and then of course I am there's another layer after that where if you run into someone who says, again, you're worthless, you have to not re-internalize oh that and be like, oh, god damn it, I knew it all along. Right. <laughs> Finally, some validation for my internal lived experience. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that's actually more comfortable in a lot. What, yeah. Right. Like what you know, even though it's pain and terrible, right, which is, it's... it's what, it's the the devil you know, Right. Oh, it's so much easier. Yeah, this is so much easier. You know, this is something that I talked about uh, on our previous episode about anxiety, which if you haven't listened to it or haven't listened to it recently, you should go back and listen to it because it's a banger. (laughs) (laughs) But experiential avoidance is about sort of controlling your internal state by making your outer world smaller. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just you're consigning these entire categories of experience, whether it be, you know, uh, things that you feel about work or things that you feel about your family or romantic stress or anything like that. It's just any way that you could sort of chop up and categorize human experience, you could just block that off. And it's just not, you draw the boundaries of your world such that that's on the outside. Mm-hmm. And in that way, you sort of, you let yourself not have to confront it directly. And you also just concede the entire part of human experience that exists in it and behind it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, making your world smaller is how you enforce distance. It's how you make things manageable by pushing them away. Yeah. It's dope. <laughs> it's also... It's I fun. love it. I love to nice. push away. Um, it's cool because we can do this, like, very physically, right? Like, we can just straight up avoid doing and like going out of the house right like that's a very straightforward way to do that right yeah or Um, or avoid a person who it would be uncomfortable to talk to mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but we can also do this psychologically too we can also sort of imprison ourselves um and make our world smaller psychologically like 
what would be a, a way to like one way that I ended up doing this and like thinking about like vulnerability or shame. Shame was a big one that I struggle with that I don't want to, I didn't want to feel, which shocking. Um, <laughs> but it's so much fun. I know. Everybody loves feeling shame. It's so good. <laughs> um, but one way that I did this was to like, I, I sort of overexposed myself. I would, I would, share too much which is kind of funny considering i'm talking about this on a podcast yeah People but nobody's gonna listening. listen to it <laughs> that's a good point but but there was a way in which it was like by really overexposing myself and being like this is who i am fuck you if you don't like it like that that sort of um it, it was it was kind of a way to frame the not, debate yeah yeah Exactly. And so by just like, putting as much of yourself out there as possible, you made it so that when people thought about you and talked about you, it was always on your terms. Yeah. Yeah. And that and I was able to sort of like understand if they if they rejected me, there was a way to sort of frame them as they're they're like cowards, right? Like there's a way to sort of frame other people as just not cool enough to like get it. Like, they're just, they're prudes. They're like... Dullards. Yeah. <laughs> they're not ready for this jelly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. This actually, uh, it relates, it's similar to, but uh, not quite the same, as one of my favorite tactics for enforcing distance, which is tactical oversharing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, what I mean by that is that I have, I have been blessed with a long life full of experiences that if I tell them to tell people about them, they just go dead silent. You're very lucky in that way. I am, I'm extraordinarily <laughs> blessed. And, you know, this has a couple of functions. One, it means that if people are making me uncomfortable, I could just shut them the fuck up. Right? <laughs> like, it's, it's very rare that... I'm in a conversation or in an interaction with someone and they're so actively disrespectful of social customs that I could, you know, say something about a traumatic experience that I had and they would just plow right through it. Like that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the other thing it does is that it makes it like something about people and the way they interact is that if you talk, if you're a person who talks a lot, then people will assume that you say everything that you have to say. And so in this way, uh, if you're someone who shares a lot, uh, people will not look any deeper. And in this way, you yeah. can you can use uh, sharing and communication as a way to misdirect from things that you don't want to talk about. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I can, for instance, I could talk about, you know, traumatic experiences that I had when I was a child. And it seems like, first of all, this is all I think about. And this is sort of the entirety of my life. And I just sort of pushed it out. And that has the effect first of, you know, preoccupying someone's thoughts when they think of me. It's just, you know, you ever looked at someone after they've seen or heard something embarrassing about you and you just see it in their face that that's what they're thinking about. Mm -hmm. and, and the other thing it does is it lets me not talk about things that I never, ever want to talk about. Mm -hmm. And that is great for avoidance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
another really cool strategy is asking other people a lot of questions and just never really letting anybody ask you questions. Just spending like because people oh, love, love people love to talk about themselves. Well, oh, they do. Some people do. Well, most most people do. If you can, yeah, you Fun can get them going. Do. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, if you can, that sort of misdirection. If you can just get them opening them up, get them going. Just uh, and then they never really direct their gaze to you, and yep. you don't have to feel anything. And also that way you get a really comprehensive survey of what people's navels look like. <laughs> mhm. Mm-hmm. And which which actually brings me to the point about how sometimes the internal experiences that we desperately want to avoid are actually pleasant ones. They're actually ones that can be very meaningful and enrich our lives. But for whatever reason, we've been taught that those are dangerous. Mm. That it's a threat to our sense of security. That maybe, for example, like if if I come to connect with someone and love someone, well, what if I then lose them, right? And then it's like devastating all over again. Or what if I connect with someone and and maybe learn that I'm not a monster and then I have this whole set of self self concepts that don't really square up and then I and then what I do with those it's actually very 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 common to avoid feeling the things that we sort of think that we want to feel yeah, especially, uh, you know, another way that this comes up really commonly is if it's something that other people tell you you shouldn't feel. Hmm. Can you give an example? Well, so I guess the classical example in my mind is, you know, if you're a boy growing up and you feel attraction to other boys and then, mm. you know, you try to tell someone about it or you see the way that, say, in, for instance, your dad talks about homosexuality, mm-hmm. that sort of thing, it just gets shut right the fuck down. Yeah. And you just, you know, and that's, you know, there's there's entire spheres of sources of human happiness, which are fundamentally taboo because of the way we're taught. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes just this whole set of motivations for avoiding positive experiences and shutting those down on ourselves. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. One of the thing that is kind of coming to my mind. I'm thinking about like what are the things that are the hardest for me to feel um or have been historically I'm um you know when other people are talking about their feelings instead of you I know that's a tough one for you <laughs> wow <laughs> just dive right in no I'm kidding god damn it <laughs> is there something you, you would like to say Andrew <laughs> no no go ahead um, I'm just so happy we're giving people all these strategies for how to avoid feeling things. It's really <laughs> well. I mean, to be clear, anyone who's li- like what Megan was hinting at earlier is that anyone who's listening to this is already going to know all this stuff because our yeah, target yeah. audience is barely functional neurotics <laughs> like us. <laughs> and we love you. And we love you. Um, well, so one of the positive emotions that I think I've really struggled with feeling is pride. Um, and now, 
if you listen to me. My God, can't shut me up about how great I am. But historically, <laughs> this has not always been the case. Like, um, I remember one of the things that my dad would often say is, the gods first make proud those whom they wish to destroy. And, whew. I mean, I think that's actually kind of true, but... <laughs> Were you ever like, wow, dad, you're sure proud of that line. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I wasn't nice. quick enough nice. for that. Um, so, so like pride is, I don't know. Pride's a weird emotion. It's very strange. But it's something that I've deeply struggled with. And so when you get like, I, I don't know if this is a common experience. I don't know if anybody out there can relate to this, but receiving compliments <laughs> super hard super difficult and, and like what would it mean for me to believe those things uh i don't really know where i'm going with this help me out here george you tend to know what the fuck i'm thinking about or where i'm well, going well you were you were talking about uh you know emotion positive emotions that are difficult for you to feel and you know one of them was pride for you because you're sort of so wrapped up in you having like a negative self-concept that mm. being able to take ownership of po of your positive qualities you know sort of like almost an extension of the primordial struggle that you have with just mm. of just being willing to like yourself in the first place and so yeah. every compliment you hear uh both reminds you of that in a way that you sort of twist away from and also is an opportunity to confront it anew. Yeah. What George like, said. It's like we were saying earlier. It's, it's challenging that impulse uh, of trusting yourself and trusting others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like a, the perfect test for that. <laughs> and it's cool because a lot of the things that I really struggled to get compliments on are not things that were necessarily rewarded in my childhood i'd say i'm a i'm a typically a very sensitive person but that sort of that sensitivity was not rewarded as a kid mm. but but like i think that that's an important relationship to highlight is I, I a lot of the times the the things that we like there's there's reasons that we have developed these coping strategies and these of um, sensitivities and, and difficulties to feel these positive things and like it's okay to be forgiving of yourself for that I think it it, it kind of I guess it brings me to the like so what do we do about all this shit how do we how do we unlearn and I think you know an important thing that you just hit on is that a key thing that we have to do in order to sort of move past the dependence on avoidance is to give ourselves a goddamn break Yes. Yes. Because who else is going to do it? Yeah. Well, that was, right, that's sort of what I was getting at earlier, right, with mm -hmm. my own experience and just, you know, you have to have, you have to have compassion for yourself and that was a, a really important sort of reframing for me mm -hmm. emotionally to, to recognize that that this thing that I was doing am doing that is harmful for me now started from a place of necessity and did serve me at some point mm -hmm. right i mean it it is uh, a helpful way of framing it because it puts me 
more in conversation with it mm-hmm. rather than uh, at odds with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And rather, I... rather than, yeah, rather than something I need to fight. Yes. You can try to drop the struggle with it. Which I guess brings up the idea of blame and how easy it can be to blame ourselves or other people. Like, uh, I blame my parents for a lot of shit. I know that's there. It's not always the most helpful frame. You know, oh, like there's... So it feels so good to do. It, it does. It does. And in some ways can be an avoidance strategy, right? Um, yeah. I actually, I, I often struggle with it from the opposite direction, which is a habit I have is to come up with excuses for why other people let me down. Hmm. And uh, this is something that I was thinking about uh, recently because... Uh, just about a year ago now, I was in the hospital. I had to get uh, emergency surgery. And uh, the hospital I was in was not very well funded. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, everyone everyone who I actually worked with and saw and interacted with was incredibly competent and professional and nice. But there was just these immense delays in ever getting to interact with anyone. Like, you know, when I was first going in, you know, it was I was sort of lying on a stretcher in the emergency ward for like 14 hours before they could find a room for me and there was just you know it was like a whole week of experiences like that and friends got actually angry with me for always finding a reason to not take it personally or not blame other people for it (laughs) and because it was actively inhibiting my ability to self-advocate yep i remember that i remember getting frustrated with you even sorry (laughs) well you were right (laughs) Yeah, I think that that is also a very compelling strategy. For example, I have a deep understanding of how my parents have, of of how their trauma has interacted with their worldview and why they've developed their worldview. And um, while it's been helpful for me to like forgive and and let go and move on in a lot of ways, it has also kind of kept me tied to them or for, or like. It sort of it can sort of facilitate this like, well, I know why they're acting like this. And uh, for a long time, I was trying to find ways to forgive my parents to. To keep having this relationship with them, one that I thought I really wanted and valued. And it was some like it was it was an avoidance of separation. I didn't want to I didn't want to let go of them. I didn't want to lose that attachment. That was something that I had fought for for so long. It was really important to me. And and to, like, stop caring about your parents was, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was an avoidance strategy in a different way. There are so many ways to avoid. And there are so many things to do avoidance on. Yes. <laughs> a rich tapestry. It is. And in this way, avoidance is sustainable because you can always find something to not confront. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely true. But I think that's an interesting, I mean, it's just a, I don't know, one of the other things that you can have compassion for yourself or one can have compassion for oneself over is, I I don't know, I, I feel like 
therapy and psychology are often framed i think we've talked about we've talked about before in in terms of things like breakthroughs you know like big mm-hmm. moments and all of a sudden the clouds part and <laughs> everything is crystal clear right you know like you mm-hmm. have that one great session and leave and everything's sunshine and roses and that's sort of how therapy is often depicted um <laughs> And, and it's often framed as being around things like reconciliation. But I think that one of the, I don't know, I, I, I do think that it's important to have compassion for yourself to, to say, like, actually, maybe the healthy thing is to sort of separate emotionally, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. maybe I am powerless to change them. I mean, you, de- you definitely are. Yeah. <laughs> you can't force them to. I've tried real fucking hard. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, like, and I, either they can meet you halfway and try to do what they need to to develop healthy relationships. Really, anything at all. Right. <laughs> right. Sorry. But banging your head against the wall is not, like you said, it's it's a form of avoidance. Mm-hmm. George, were you? Yeah, no, I was going to say that, you know, it's important to remember that avoidance is only maladaptive when it's your only strategy, when you overemploy it. You know, there are always going to be right. things where it's actually okay and healthy to be like, I need to set this aside. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because other- otherwise you're pushing in the opposite direction where you sort of force yourself to experience everything. And that's that's just, you know, yeah. that's fancy, man- fancy masochism. Yeah, yeah. That's like when you're white knuckling through your entire life. Like, there, th- I think that there can be a sort of um, an addiction to confronting your demons in a way that's like um it's just wallowing uh, yeah i think there could be a tendency for it to be wallowing but i think it can also be a fear of being stagnant i guess is well i guess that's for me what it's kind of been where it's like i am like i kind of i have i have a tendency to over confront things in a way that can be self-destructive, in fact. <laughs> um, and, like, I found out, like, I've, I've come to realize that, oh, shit, this is another control strategy. Like, my dissertation. What are you attempting to control? Uh, <laughs> powerlessness. Helplessness. A feeling that. So it's, it's, it's like the idea that you're, if you're not growing, you're dying kind of thing? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think it's a little bit like we were saying before, right? You're, uh, it is maybe not healthy, maybe even self-destructive a little bit, but it's, it's, it's a mode in which you're comfortable, right? Yes. Like, yeah. Like it is, it is an emotionally comfortable place, even though it's not a healthy one or a productive one. Yeah, or that, uh, that it's a little bit questionable how productive it is. <laughs> How does it feel having to say these out loud instead of just thinking them in your head as you're talking? Uh, uh, a little bit like it It felt to look at my student loan bills right now where it's just like, oh shit, man. Whatever. We'll see what the consequences are for this. I yeah, it's like you know, I look, I look at my student loan bills, and I'm like, that's not a real number. And it's Y'all like made that 
up. Yeah, just <laughs> fuck it. Ride or die, man. <laughs> um, so in some ways, it's like I'm talking with you guys and like, whatever, you guys are my friends. But um, I guess more people besides just us will listen, like three, four, maybe. Yeah, but those um, people are also all your friends. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's just just a, a heads up. Space. If you listen to this podcast, you are automatically our friend. That's I actually really like that. It's a true story. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're listening as like retcon. Like if you're like trying to do opposition what? research. Oh. You then mean recon? Like, fuck you. Recon. What? Yeah, retcon is a different thing. What's the, what's retcon? Retcon is short for retcon retroactive like... continuity. And what it means is changing events that happened in a plot previously so that things that you do now don't constitute a plot hole. Shit. I've been using that wrong for a long time. Recon. Well, okay. Reconnaissance. Ah, okay. oh, shit. Of course. <sighs> this is so embarrassing. Well, it's fine. Just you <laughs> And know, I have if, given if up nice the edit. If you're nice <laughs> to the editor, I'm sure they'll cut it out. <laughs> I've given up my my control I mean, strategy of editing, I so mean, I can't. <laughs> if you want it back, just say the no, word. I don't. You can do it. All right. Well, okay. What have we? I feel like we've hit what, on. What a have lot. we? What have we done? What have, what we, have done? we done? What have we done? Maybe, maybe I, we can end with like just talking about like questions for the audience to reflect on. Sure. What questions did you have in mind, Megan? Well, I guess the ones that that we've talked about already a little bit, but just thinking about like what are the most difficult emotions for me to experience right so pretty big ones typical ones that most humans tend to struggle with are like shame and fear anger anxiety uncertainty, uncertainty. that's a big one despair helplessness defeat weakness failure confusion loss sadness just all, all yeah. the all the emotions, but all particularly of the, the bad ones. Yeah, and then on the other side, the the positive emotions that can be really difficult, which can be literally any of them, but um, especially people who have spent a long time being depressed. Yep, happiness can be terrifying. Pride, yeah. like Megan talked about, uh, satisfaction is a big one, mm-hmm. uh, which Megan also talked about. Uh-huh. Loved. Loved, uh, My yes. God, that is a threatening emotion. <laughs> right, so the punchline is: if you're feeling anything good at all, you should be very suspect of that. Yeah, yeah. Do not trust that emotion. Huh? That's that's the takeaway. Yeah, yep. a big a big one for me is being counted on. I have a oh, lot yeah. of trouble with. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, yeah. Wh- what is it? What is the what is the emotion that right now in your life? you're really struggling with to feel what are you trying not to feel and then like what thoughts or memories are tied to that feeling what do you worry about in a way that feels excessive because like we talked about before rumination can actually be a way to avoid feeling something else right so if you're compulsively focusing your attention on these certain areas of distress in your life like uh i don't know um uh, someone you have a crush on 
someone you have a crush on say more well you know like if you have a crush on this is you know i've got friends who have various anxieties about this that i've been talking to but it's just you know if you have a crush on someone you don't know how to tell them or you don't know if it's a good idea to tell them Hmm. you know and just these are things that can preoccupy your thoughts especially like if you're interacting with them regularly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah it's just one of those things that it's really easy to dwell on yeah if you're sort of obsessively uh ruminating on something that is definitely a signal that you're avoiding something or it can just be a way of avoiding sitting with uncertainty uncertainty is often a, a a it's a common culprit Let's see. And then the last question that I think is going to be really helpful here is what behaviors do you use in order to control, to reduce or mitigate certain internal experiences? Um, Very commonly, this can be shit like using substances, right? Drugs, drugs, big one, big one. Or overuse of your cell phone, right? If you are socially anxious you're out at a party and you're on your phone dominating or steering conversations <laughs> wait this is just my to-do list you're reading my to-do list <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> ghosting people that's a cool one. Oh yeah yeah i love that one that's a good one or uh Distracting yourself with social media, for example. Hmm. Hmm. Why'd I write that one down there? That's fucked up. Hmm. I don't know if that's really true. Yeah. Hmm. I can't I can't think of anyone who does that. <laughs> that that one seems healthy actually. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, so those are just some questions that you can sit with and think about and hopefully get a better sense of how it is you're trying to control what you're trying to avoid and how you can give yourself a little bit of compassion. I don't know. The important thing is that when you're distracting yourself on social media later, you distract yourself with these topics. <laughs> yes. And, and that more you- great episodes of Naughty by Nurture. And that you retweet us. Yes. Um. yes. Those are the <laughs> self-care practices that you all need to be engaging in. Yeah, you can you can find our Twitter at uh, NBNCast. Yep. And I'm Megan. I'm George. And I am I'm Andrew. And we'll see you in another three months. That's <laughs> <laughs> optimistic. Here's where the music goes. You see, there's no use trying to protect you from the danger
Trust and compare There's always someone being slaughtered 